welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. Thank you. Just remain standing and take your Bibles. Find the 24th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 24. Pastor Chad, what an honor it has been. I'm a traveling evangelist, and some of my dearest friends have preached here and said, Brother Rick, you need to preach at Mount Pisgah. Thank you for the honor. The, the reputation of this church is known all across the country, and I'm grateful to God. God has led me in a different direction in this second service, and I want to preach a message about the coming of the Lord, especially with everything going on in our world. So I'm preaching on this subject, taken, taken. From Matthew 24, I'll begin reading in verse number 37, and I'll read through the 42nd verse. Matthew 24, 37. Jesus is the big preacher. He's doing the preaching. Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. That means at work. One will be, everybody say that word, taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming. I'm preaching today on this subject, taken, taken. Thank God for the reading of his perfect book, Please be seated and pray with me. Would you do that? Father, do you be the glory for everything we've experienced today, all the wonderful music, the giftedness, of, uh, the giftedness of our players and our singers that have ministered to us today. Thank you for these precious musicians. God, I pray now that you would give me that unction. God, that you would loose me and let me go. God, we want our enemy to know that he's not welcome in this place. And so, God, we just confess out loud right now to any devil that can hear us, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, I pray you'll do the preaching, and I promise to give you the glory, and I'll praise you right now, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the story of the old country preacher that only had a fourth grade education, had to drop out of school to help his daddy on the farm, and he was a preacher, but he was educationally illiterate, theologically ignorant, but boy, he had a lot of passion. One Sunday morning, that old boy was preaching to his congregation about Noah building the ark, and he started describing Noah's family, got a little sidetracked, started talking about Noah's wife. He said, Mrs. Noah was, and two pages of his Bible got stuck together and he turned and didn't realize it. He kept reading. He said, Mrs. Noah was 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits tall and she was made out of gopher wood. Well, he looked at the audience and said, well, boys, I gotta be honest. She was a big old ugly woman, but she loved God, didn't she? Son, that old boy just believed what he read. I want y'all to know when it comes to this book, I believe what I read. And I believe it when I read that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. 
I believe it when I read that he lived a perfect life and died with my sins hanging on him on the cross. I believe it when it says he was put in a borrowed tomb, sealed up and left for dead, which he was. And I believe it when it says three days later, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away and he walked out alive and well. And I believe it when the Bible said after that, he ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God where he's been over 2000 years. If you believe all that, shout amen, amen. Well, son, if I believe all that, I believe the best is yet to come. I believe any day now, one day, maybe today, that same Jesus is gonna rise from the throne. He's gonna descend down through the air. He's gonna stop in earth's airspace. When he stops in the clouds, he's going to shout in the clouds. And when he shouts in the clouds, every living believer on this earth and every believer buried underneath the earth will instantly rise to meet him and we will be taken taken when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair and the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there son I'm going to be taken not kidnapped but caught up taken not abducted but ascended taken not snatched by a criminal but seized by the king I'm going to be taken how you know preacher because Jesus told me. Jesus said, I'm going to be taken. He uses that word taken twice in the gospel of Matthew chapter 24. Look one more time, church, what he says about being taken. He says in Matthew 24, 40, the Bible says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. He repeats it in 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. The one taken and the other left. That word taken is a powerful Greek word that means to receive or draw to. But I love it because it comes from another Greek word that means to be intimate with or have a relationship with. I put all that together. That means Jesus Christ is coming to take some folks, but he's only going to take those that have an intimate relationship with him. That means he's not gonna take you just because you're nice or just because you're moral or just because you're good or just because you're an American citizen, or just because you're Baptist, or Pentecostal, or just because you've been baptized in water. That's not the reason you're gonna be taken. The only ones gonna be taken are those that have a personal relationship with him. And you know what I believe? I believe in the urgency of the hour. I'm one of those old preachers that believe he could take me right now. He could take me before I finish the next sentence. Can y'all imagine what would happen if he took us right now? If he came right now, Brother Chad, my Bible would be left laying right here on this stand. I preached my last sermon. Brother Jeremy, if he comes right now, all these wonderful singers would have sung their last song on this stage. They'll be headed to sing in heaven. If he comes right now, clothes will be laying all on the seats of this church. Not gonna need those anymore. You got a brand new robe. If he comes right now, you're gonna leave your truck keys and your car keys laying there because from now on, you're gonna fly everywhere you go. And if he comes right now, you're gonna leave your wallets and your debit cards and your purses because hallelujah, you're going to a place where everything's paid for, man, if he comes right now. I got three simple words to say in this simplest of sermons about being taken. First of all, I believe I'll be taken because there's a promise. There's a promise, something gonna get good. Look what it says, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice that word days. Students, he's literally talking about a period of time. That word days means a season or a time frame. So the Bible said, Jesus said, he's coming back when the world looks like it looked in the days of Noah. 
Now those were bad days. The news was bad news. I've got six grandchildren. So the oldest is 14, the youngest is two. But that means in the last decade or so, I've learned some new words. My kids were grown and gone, so I've learned words I did not know before. In the last 10 years, I've learned words like bluey and uh, Paw Patrol and Bubble Guppies. And I think one of the first new words that I learned was about 10 or 11 years ago when my little granddaughter Braylon uh, was about two and she was at the house and she wanted to watch Doc, Doc McStuffins. Well, I was home that day and every morning, whether I'm in a hotel, which I am frequently, or my house, I get up and watch the news. So I was watching the Fox News that morning. It was on and Braylon comes in from the playroom and she said, I wanna watch Doc. I had no clue who Doc was. But my wife instructed me, we had a bunch of them taped, and so I put it up on the screen, and little Braylon snuggled up next to her grandfather, and we watched Doc. And I kind of got caught up in it. I mean, I really did. It just kind of got me into it, and I didn't even know halfway through Doc, Braylon had gotten up and went back to the playroom, man. And my, my daughter looked at me, and she said, Daddy, you can turn the news back on. You don't have to keep watching Doc. Braylon's not even here. And I thought about it for a moment. I said, No, I think I'll keep watching Doc. It's a whole lot better than the news. I mean, son, if you watch the news very long, you'll get disgusted. If you watch the news very long, you'll get discouraged. If you watch the news very long, you could get depressed. And I believe, preacher, if they'd had newscasts in the days of Noah, it would be similar to today. If they had social media, it'd be the same thing. Can I just talk for a minute on this first point about the days of Noah? Tell you two things about Noah's day. First of all, I want you to notice the atmosphere of Noah's day. Would you put your index finger there and flip over to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis? Go to the book of Genesis, and I won't be here long, but give you a little gloomy news. Remind you what the days of Noah was like. First of all, there are three things right up there on the margin of your Bible. In Genesis chapter six, number one, the days of Noah were distressful days. They were distressful. Look what he says in verse five of Genesis six. He says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that Hebrew word for wickedness literally means distressing days. Literally, it means heavy days, days that kind of lay on you. Literally, it means hurtful days. That's what he's describing. You know, it comes from another word that means days that are full of mischief. Boy, that sounds a lot like the day we're living in, doesn't it? Did you know last year, Fox News took a poll? 60% of all Americans said things look so hopeless, they believe the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Sounds kind of like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, when Paul said, in the last days, perilous times would come. And that word perilous means dangerous days. It means difficult days, fierce days, and ferocious days. Someone has said it'd be hard to imagine somebody being arrested for disturbing the peace because there's not a lot of peace left to disturb. So first of all, the days of Noah were distressful days. Let me tell you something real relevant now. There's a second thing about Noah's day. The atmosphere was not only distressful days, they were dirty-minded days. Oh, yes, they were. Look at that fifth verse again, Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth. And now this is fascinating to me and that every intent or imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That word intent or imagination means that which is framed. Matter of fact, it's so profound in the Hebrew, it is a word picture of a man putting a blob of clay on a table or on a slab and forming that clay, sculpting it with what he's imagining in his mind. That's the picture. He's talking about men in Noah's day 
that were sculpting things from their mind, framing it with their mind, and he uses that word evil continually. And that word evil is interesting to me because literally it means naughty in that particular passage of scripture. The days of Noah were naughty days, dirty-minded days. They were days when there were no moral restraints. Uh, They were days of instant gratification, days where anything goes. You do know we're living in that day. The reason I preach so fervently about this to teenagers is because I love students. I believe they're our champions. And they're being raised in a day not like you were raised in. Don't you sit there, parents and grandparents, and think you know what they're going through because you don't. I mean, it's in their face as never before. We're living in dirty-minded days. Jeremiah says, uh, a proverb says, rather, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're living in that day. Do you understand the day we're living in, the day our teenagers are facing? Do you know what one of the number one enterprises is in all of America? It's the porn industry. Do you know the porn industry in America? Are you ready for this? Together, the porn industry makes more money in a year in America than the National Basketball Association, the National Football League, Major League Baseball, and Coca-Cola combined. We're living in that day. We're living in a dirty-minded day, a day when nobody seems to care, a day when anything goes, a day when it's in our teenager's face. It was that way in the days of Noah. They were days of perversion. They were dirty days. The Bible said God put a flood upon the earth. It was similar to the days of Lot when men married men and women married women. The days of Noah, dirty-minded days. As someone has said, sin that used to slink down back alleys now stretch down main streets. Sin that we used to loathe, we now laugh at. That we used to abhor, we now applaud. We're living in that day. I know it's a depressing thing to think about, but the days of Noah atmosphere were distressful days. The days of Noah were dirty-minded days. And last of all, before I go on, the days of Noah were deadly days. They were deadly. For look what he says now in that 11th verse of Genesis chapter six. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. He uses that word again two verses later. Look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come up before me for the earth is filled with violence. You know what the word violence means in Hebrew? It means to take. A picture of taking away possessions or taking away peace. Are you ready? Taking away life. The days of Noah, life was not sacred. Brother Chad, you know what the new sport is in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live? I live in Jacksonville. You know what the new sport is? Killing people as they drive down the interstate or really shooting at them. Why, just in the last three weeks, a man off Interstate 295 in Jacksonville, that busy thoroughfare, just stood off the side of the road with a weapon in the bushes and shot people. He wounded three, killed one, before he was apprehended. The other man, they could never apprehend. That's on Interstate 10 in Jacksonville. He just stood there on the side of the road with his weapon, shooting cars as they drive by. That's the new sport. It's taking form all over the country. In Philadelphia, just two weeks ago, a pregnant woman was shot. Thankfully, she's well, the baby's well, but that's the new sport in America. It's no longer drive-by shooting. It's stand on the side of the road and shoot people. Have you ever seen a day like this day? It's a day full of rage. It's a day full of hatred. Do you understand in the year 2022, there was a record 646 mass public shootings in our country? We're already 500 for this year. May not approach last year, but it's already over 500. Do you know, this is a staggering statistic. Do you know 42% of all Americans, 42% live within one mile of where a mass public shooting has taken place in the last 10 years? That's one eighth of the population. It's a generation that says, we don't care. 
It's evidenced by what's going on in Israel right now where Hamas, who is demonically inspired, are beheading children and killing babies and taking by force that which they do not have. They're taking away. We're living in a day of unparalleled violence. Now, I know I've come with depressing stuff, but it's gonna get better than this. For here's what he says. He says the day that sees Jesus will be a day like the days of Noah, distressful, dirty-minded, deadly days, but I'm not finished. For I don't want to talk about the atmosphere of Noah's day. I want to go back to the main text. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. For I want to talk about the attitude of Noah's day. Here we go now. The attitude. Notice the atmosphere. Now notice the attitude, church. Look at the attitude of Noah's day. And we left off in verse number 38. For Jesus said this, for he says, it was in the days before the flood, Matthew 24, 38, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Everybody get this, four things, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Preacher, what is he saying? He's saying this, they were involved in the common interest of the day. They were caught up in their own schedules. They had no time for God. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage and did not realize what was fixing to happen. I shall never forget my second year as a traveling evangelist. I've been doing this 35 years. My second year, I preached in Tampa, Florida, my home state. And I was invited before the service that night, preacher, to go into the children's department and give them a little devotion. They were having a little hot dog supper. So I went in the children's building and then the preschool and elementary directors blew my mind. They said, preacher, would you just, we've had a couple of questions. Would you just give our little children a devotion about the rapture? I thought, my land, I'll scare them half to death about the rapture. So I tried to be cute about it. I tried to be a little comical about it. And so I quoted 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Here's what I said. I said, boys and girls, the Bible said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. What do y'all think he's gonna shout? When Jesus comes, what do you think he's gonna say? I'm, I'm not kidding. A little boy, found out later, was the preacher's son, go figure. Little boy climbed up on a metal chair. When I said, what y'all think Jesus is gonna shout? He cupped his hands to his mouth and he said, he's gonna shout, ready or not, here I come. <laughs> and you know what I thought? That'll preach right there. Hey, can I remind you? He's coming whether you're ready or not. That's what happened in the days of Noah. They were not ready. That nut teenagers named Noah, they thought he was crazy. He'd been out there building that boat out in the desert for 120 years preaching to them, just preaching to them. You know what he was preaching? It's gonna flood. They didn't believe that. It had never rained in human history and now he said it's gonna flood. So you know what they did? They went out and laughed at him and mocked at him. But Noah, 2 Peter 2, 5 says, was a preacher of righteousness. So while he was hammering that boat, he'd put that hammer down and hammer him with the word and tell him that God is going to send a flood to the earth. And they ignored him, and they laughed at him, and they mocked him, and they walked away. And Brother Chad, I like what the old time preachers used to say, I believe it. I believe, son, when God put Noah on the boat and closed that door after 120 years of grace and giving folks a chance, I believe when the fountains of the deep broke up and the geysers erupted and the water came down and it got knee deep, thigh deep and waist deep. I believe that crowd began to swim out to the ark wanting to come in, but they couldn't come in because God had shut the door and I'm not comparing myself to Noah at all, nor is your preacher saying he's compared to Noah, but preachers like myself and brother Chad, we do the same thing. We get up and preach, it's gonna happen. It's gonna take place. Jesus Christ is gonna come and folks just act like it's some way off event. They've heard it all their life, but you know what God did? When God put Noah and his family on the ark, God interrupted human 
human history and the flood came and I got news for you boys and girls and men and women, God's gonna interrupt human history again. He's not gonna do it with a flood. He's gonna do it with a trumpet. He's not gonna do it with water. He's gonna do it with a savior. One of these days, my Lord Jesus is gonna come get me. I'm gonna drop this khaki carcass and blast off like a rapture rocket to meet Jesus Christ in the air one day because he's coming again, coming again. You know why? You know why? Because it's a promise. Daddy and his daughter, teenage girl, were out swimming in the ocean. And they were good swimmers, but the daddy looked up and realized they'd gotten out further than he'd intended. And they were well out over their heads. The water was getting rougher. And he knew if they tried to both swim in together to the shore, the water would pull them down. The tide would pull them down and they'd drown. He made an unbelievable decision. He looked at his little girl, said, baby girl, daddy's taught you how to float. I want you to lay here on your back and float. I'm going in and get some help. We need some help. At first she was puzzled, but then he looked at her and calmed her and said, baby, you can float, but I promise you, I promise you I'll be back. Left his daughter with her hands behind her head and she was floating. Said The story said it took that daddy one hour to get into the shore and get some guys that he knew and get a boat and get out to her. Well, they, they thought he was a negligent dad, an abusive father. But boy, when they came over those waves, expecting never to see that girl, there she was. There was that teenage girl floating on her back in the waves. The first man pulled her in and was so thrilled to see her, was hugging her. And then he said to her, I, I can't help but notice you're not trembling. You're not shaking. Weren't you the least bit afraid when your daddy left you? She said, why no, my father promised me he was coming back. And my father always keeps his promises. Can I tell you, my Lord's promised me he's coming back. And I believe he's gonna keep it. Well, first of all, there's a promise. Now, second thing I need to tell you, I told you a simple sermon, don't miss it. First of all, I'm gonna be taken because there's a promise. Second, I'm gonna be taken, but then there's a problem. For look what it says, after the promise is the problem. Now look what the Bible says. Boy, verse 39 is fascinating to me. Matthew 24, the Bible said, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Hey, preacher, I looked up that word took. The word took and the word taken mean almost the same thing in English. And you would expect them to. I looked them up in Merriam-Webster's New World Dictionary. That's the authority, isn't it? And they're almost exactly the same. They mean to get a hold of or to grab a hold of. But remember the New Testament's written in Greek. Not English, but Greek. And those two words took, are, are you ready for this? The two words took and are taken, took and taken couldn't be further apart. There's nothing, a synonym about them. They're totally different words. I was fascinated. Remember, what does the word taken mean? The word taken means to draw away or receive. You know what the word took means? to put away and remove. It's astounding to me. And within the context of the text, that's how it reads. It took that crowd away that did not get on the ark. Preacher, uh, th that was evidence to me in an illustration in a church I preached in North Carolina. I was preaching at a little country church in North Carolina one time, and they didn't have a magnificent building like you. A building would only seat about 200 people. They had one center aisle. And they had them old wooden pews without cushions. Y'all remember those? Some of, some of us old people remember those. And they had no cushion on the pew. On the second row was the pastor's wife one night and a little five, six-year-old boy. And that kid had had a little bit too much sugar that day. Son, he was wired for sound. And I'm telling you, that kid was everywhere. During the worship service, that kid was up and down that pew, bouncing on the end of the pew like a horsey. Got down under the pew. One time he started playing with my shoes and socks. And I didn't realize that was that kid, and I was way up in the mountains, and I thought, my land, I'm in a snake handling church. One of them's gotten loose, man. That's what I thought. 
And I looked down and that little kid's grinning at me, looking at me up between my shoes while he's playing with my socks. His mother was having a time reeling that kid in. And the whole time during the worship service, before I got her to preach, he was talking. And it was just resonating off that wooden pew. And he said the same thing over and over. Take me out, I want a drink. Take me out, I want a drink. Take me out, I want a drink. And finally, mom had had it. And it was right before I got up to preach, the brother was up singing a special song before I preached. Take me out, I want a drink. And that was it. She grabbed that kid by the hand and she started walking in front of the pew because the restrooms were out this door in front of me. And by the way, it's always hilarious when it's not our kid. And son, she's dragging that kid out and he's putting the brakes on because he knew what was fixing to happen. And she's dragging him out and it was hilarious. Out loud, here's what he's saying. Never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty, I'm not thirsty. And preacher, one day I was reading this passage and it hit me. That kid wasn't being taken, he is being took out. Everybody got it? Oh, come on, son. He wasn't being taken, took out. Can I go ahead and say this to anybody listening on live stream and everybody in this magnificent building? Everybody, everybody, everybody in this building is either gonna be taken or took out. Everybody. There is no middle ground. Son, I don't know whether you're going to heaven and I don't know whether you're going to hell, but you can't stay here. So there is no middle ground. You're gonna be taken or took out. Those of us, if you're saved and you know it, shout, I'm going. I'm going. Oh, you can do better than that. Save me, you know what, shout, I'm going. I'm going. Oh, son, that means I'm gonna be taken. I'm gonna be taken. And preacher, it boggles my mind. I've already quoted 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 about my Lord coming with a shout, thinking about what he's gonna say. And brother Chad, you know why I get worked up about that? One day, any day, maybe today, I'm gonna hear my Savior speak out loud. I've heard him speak before, but not audibly. Oh, son, I've heard him in my heart. I've heard him through the scriptures. I've heard him through the preachers. I've heard him through music. I've heard him through prayer. I've heard him in that still small voice, but I've never heard him speak out loud, oh child of God, take heart. One of these days, we're gonna be at work, we're gonna be at school, we're gonna be doing what we're doing, and he's gonna speak the same voice. Colossians 1.16 says that created the world is gonna speak to me. One day, Jesus Christ spoke and darkness turned into light. One day, he spoke and planets spun into orbit. One day, he spoke and nothing became something. And when he spoke on this earth and he showed up in the Old Testament, Many times when he showed up, it changed people's lives. He talked out loud to Abraham. Abraham got, got so excited, he started tithing, man. He, he spoke to Moses and Moses on the mountain had a spell in front of the Lord. He spoke to three Hebrew boys in a fiery furnace. One day, that same voice gonna speak to me. I'm talking about the voice that when he walked this earth, John said, never did a man speak like this man. When Jesus Christ spoke, Deaf ears listened up and blind eyes opened up and mute tongues loosened up. Lame legs left up and oh yeah, dead people stood up. And that same voice is gonna speak one day and I'm going to hear him. I got heavenly hearing aids, boys. On the day I got saved, Spirit of God lives in me. Same Spirit raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. I'm gonna hear him. But not everybody's gonna hear him. Hence the problem. For I go to my last point. What is the problem? If you miss the rapture, if you're not taken, you got two problems. And I'll give you this very briefly. The first problem is the problem of great separation. Great separation. Notice what it says in the Word of God. Look what it says in 40 and 41. I've already read it, but I left out that one word left on purpose. Look what it says in 40. Two men shall be in the field. One will be taken and the other, what's that word? Left. He repeats it. 
Two women, next verse, will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken in the other. Preacher, I was astounded when I read this. Do you know that word left comes from the same Greek root word as the word took? Astounding. It means to remove or put away. So the Bible says those that are left behind are put away. Nobody likes to talk about being left behind. Nobody wants to be left students. Nobody wants to be left out of the loop. Nobody wants to be left out of the group. Nobody wants to be left out of the party or out of the plans. The Bible said there's some folks are gonna be left and it boggles the mind. Where were you last Saturday morning? Where were you when you first heard the words about Israel last Saturday morning? Because when world news happens like that, many times our loved ones contact us. Our students don't remember 9-11. Hard to believe it's been 22 years ago. They weren't around then, but those of us that remember, remember where you were the morning of 9-11, don't you? I was in Cleveland, Tennessee preaching a revival when my daughter called me on the phone weeping. I was studying a sermon for the revival that night and she said, Daddy, turn on the news. You know, the first thing I did, Pastor, when I heard about 9-11, I called a person I loved. My daughter had called me, I called my wife. Imagine what'll happen after the rapture of the church. And we don't preach like this anymore, we used to, but it's gonna happen. After the rapture of the church, imagine a man careening down the interstate on his way to work in some big city in America. And all of a sudden, he sees traffic in front of him where there's accidents because cars will be without drivers who have been raptured. And that man finally stops as he gets away from the carnage and the horrible sight and the sound of all that metal. And he gets to the side of the road, grabs his phone shaking. The first person he calls is his wife, but she's not answering because she's a believer. She'll never answer the phone again because she's been taken and he's been left behind to be took out. Imagine the student that comes home from school and he's hungry, pulls his earbuds out of his ear, throws his backpack on the table in the living room, says, mom, I'm starved, what's for supper? Smells it cooking in the kitchen, but he walks in, mom's not there. Her clothes are laying at the base of the stove, food's boiling over the stove, but she's not there, she's been taken. She'll never cook him another meal. He's been left to be took out. Imagine that guy down at the office, in the corner office. You know, everybody used to go to him when they had a prayer request. Remember him? They're looking for him now because reports are coming in all over the internet about people missing. They're wondering what's going on in the world. And so they run in the office, but he's not there. His clothes are laying in the chair where he was sitting. His Bible's on the desk, a picture of his wife's there, but he's not there because he's been taken and they've been left behind to be took out. Can you imagine the saint who's dying in the hospital with terminal illness? She don't have the strength to get out of bed, but they can't find her. I mean, all the tubes are unplugged or laying on the floor. They're frantically looking under the bed sheets and looking under the bed. They can't find her. And one of the nurses says, I don't know where she's going. She didn't have the strength to walk down the hall. Son, she ain't walking. Honey, she's flying. She took a first class one-way flight courtesy of Air Jesus and she's checked out of this place, man, because she's gone. I mean, that's going to happen. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Two will be in one place. One will be taking the other left. Two will be at the work, one place. One taken, one left. Two will be at school. Two will be in the bed. What an awful day for those that are took out. Doorbells will ring but never be answered. Messages will be texted but never received. Tweets will not be followed up on. Emails will not be responded to. Husbands will be without wives. Wives will be without husbands. Students will be without parents because they have been left behind. There's a great separation. There's a second problem, and I'm gonna go to my last point. Not only is there a great separation, but there's a great tribulation. Problem number one is great separation. Problem number two is great tribulation. And I'm gonna set up Brother Chad's message for tonight because he's preaching on the second coming. I'd love to be here to hear that, brother, because he's already, he's already been preaching it to me, man, what he's gonna say. But you do, you do know, I gotta qualify where I'm at theologically. 
because I'm doctrinally sound. I'm doctrinally sound, Brother Chad. The 24th chapter of the book of Revelation is not a rapture chapter, it's a second coming chapter. Oh, yes, it is. Jesus talked about great tribulation. For instance, look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Look what he says in verse number 21. Jesus says, for then shall there be or will there be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Well, Rick, you're preaching on the rapture. I'll qualify that in a minute. But this is a second coming passage. I told the people at the Framework Conference this week, the rapture of the church is imminent. Not one sign needs to be fulfilled. Nothing else needs to happen. So he said, Brother Rick, all these people invading Israel, is that a sign of the time? There is no signs for the rapture. The signs of the times are going on all around us, yes, but we could zoom out right now. I mean, we could check out any moment. This is a second coming passage, and I'm not gonna preach a preacher's message because it's gonna be good. He'll preach it tonight. But you know that there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming or the revelation. You know that, don't you? He's preaching Revelation 19 tonight. Y'all, y'all better be here. Revelation 19, you better be here. There's a difference between the rapture and the revelation. Oh, come on. At the rapture, he's coming privately. At the revelation, he's coming publicly. At the rapture, he's coming with a shout. At the revelation, he's coming with a sword. At the rapture, he's gonna stop in the clouds. At the revelation, he's gonna put his foot on the mountain. At the rapture, he's coming to take out. At the revelation, he's coming to take back, take down, and take over. The king of kings and lord of lords. Say, well, Rick, if you say this is a, and by the way, the rapture has got to come for the second coming. So if you say, preacher, this is a second coming chapter, why are you preaching the rapture? Because preacher, I'm in that old time fundamentalist camp. I won't name the names. I won't be a name dropper, but there's some good names. I'm in an old time fundamentalist camp that believes, although this is a second coming passage, verses 40 and 41 are magnificent pictures of the rapture. And those that miss the rapture will be left behind to endure great tribulation. I'm writing a new book, hadn't finished it yet. Preacher, I've been working on it three years. I might need to get your sermon because I'm not finished yet. (laughs) I've been working on it three years on the book of Revelation. I'm calling it the last book. And preacher, just two weeks ago, I was working on that chapter in chapters 12 and 13 on the great tribulation. And I had to stop and turn my computer off and get on my knees beside my desk. And first of all, thank God I was saved. I mean, how in the world can I describe the great tribulation? Hollywood couldn't reproduce it. Steven Spielberg couldn't match it with a computer-generated image. The Great Tribulation were just a few of them where God says, first of all, fire's gonna fall from the sky. The sun's gonna burn the skin off men. Waters will be poisoned. The oceans will turn to blood. Millions of demons will invade the planet. And the earthquake, greatest earthquake of all will come when the earth and heavens will be pushed together like a scroll and pulled apart and stars will be flung from the sky because the earth has rejected Jesus. And don't you sit there and say, why would God bring that to the earth? I was preaching in Valdosta, Georgia, great church, Northside Baptist Church. Preaching in Valdosta, Georgia, one I preached probably five or 600 people there in Miller Revival. And I was preaching on hell. Nobody wants to hear hell. I was preaching on hell. And near the end of my sermon, still about 10 minutes to go, Preacher, never happened before. This guy sitting in the back, an educated man I found out later, stood up to his feet and yelled out over five or 600 people, what a cruel God. And he stormed out of the church. How would you like to be preaching to that? Buddy, it took a minute for everything to calm down. Say, what'd you do, Rick? Did you rebuke him? Oh no, oh no. He's lost. Lost people do what lost people do. You can't explain a sunset to a blind man. The Holy Ghost has to convict him. He didn't make me mad. At him, he's lost. The preacher, when he stormed out, everybody calmed down and I just kept preaching. I'll admit we never really recovered. 
but I just kept preaching. But he said that, what a cruel God. But if I could have stopped him, you know what I would have said? No, God's not cruel. He's done everything he can do to save your soul. He gave you the son of God. He gave you the word of God. He gave you the spirit of God. He gave you the preachers of God. He gave you the church of God. He loves you. He's done everything he can to keep you out of hell. But folks, we're lost. We're born lost. None of us are good enough to get to heaven. If you died on your best day, you'd bust hell wide open. All of us need a savior. May I introduce unto you Jesus Christ who came to this earth to die for my sins and rose again. He's my only hope. He's my only ticket out. I choose Jesus. Jesus. So you know what he says? There's a promise. Second, there's a problem. And I'm done, but close. Don't put your shoes on, not quite, close. There's a promise, there's a problem. I gotta preach the church, so preacher, before I go, there's a priority. Because he is speaking in this passage of scripture to his disciples. So this is the cream of the crop. So he's speaking to us. Watch what he says in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. The word watch means be alert, be awake. He's talking to the church. Can I tell you this in love? This is gonna sound harsh. If you're not looking for the coming of Jesus, he's probably not coming for you. If you're not looking for his coming, he's probably not coming for you. He's telling the Christian to watch. So how do we watch? I'm done. Close, close. Three quick things. So he goes, Rick, three points? No, three statements. First, I, I spoke this to the framework conference. If I'm watching for Jesus, number one, I'm gonna be surrendered. I'm gonna be a baptized, frontline, testifying child of God when Jesus comes. I don't wanna be in the backwoods somewhere. I don't wanna be off the bench. I mean, on the bench. I wanna be on the field. So I'm gonna be surrendered. Second, I'm gonna be serving. Preached it yesterday morning. I'm gonna be using my gift for the Lord Jesus. Don't you dare sit there and say, I go to this huge church, and it's a big church. I go to this huge church with all these people, preacher, and somebody else will do it if I don't do it. No, God saved you to do what you can do for the glory of God. And finally, not only do I wanna be surrendered and I wanna be serving, but last of all, I wanna be saved. So I'm gonna ask this wonderful church, and I'm not a confusing kind of an evangelist, do you know you're saved? Do you know you're saved? Pretty sure there's a story I've told for 30 years and I've just moved it from sermon to sermon. I've stuck it in this one. I'm closing with this. I pastored two churches before becoming an evangelist. One night in the 1980s, I was standing down like Brother Chad will be in a moment, right there in front, my eyes closed. It was invitation. Probably 400 people there that night or more. And all of a sudden I heard somebody say, Rick, and I looked up and the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife Judy was standing in front of me tears rolling down her face. My wife looked at me and said these words. We'd been married 10 years at that time. She said, honey, I'm lost. Can you imagine? Stacy? can you imagine? My pastor's wife, the first lady of the church. She said, I'm lost. And I was shaken to the core. I thought, what, you lost your joy? <laughs> you lost your peace? You lost your car keys? I mean, you lost? She said, honey, I'm lost. I was so shaken, preacher. I took my wife to the altar right there and our associate pastor took my place and if my wife Judy were here, I'd let her testify. Here's what she said, I'll give it to you briefly. She said, honey, when I was eight years old, I walked down the aisle, because you know, we know all the terms of the Baptist church. I went up, I walked up, I came up, I joined. So I walked in, she said, nobody talked to me about confessing my sin and repenting. Somebody just prayed a brief prayer with me and they signed a card and I got baptized because children's hearts are tender. They get saved. She said, Rick, then when I was 14, an evangelist kind of like me came to town, preached a sermon on hell, sermons on hell and the return of Christ shake people up. 
So that 14-year-old girl walked down the same aisle. They did the same stuff to her. I mean, no talk of confession or repentance or surrendering her heart to Christ. Signed a card, she got baptized. Girl, she was pure all through high school and lo and behold, she married a preacher. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said, being a preacher won't get you to heaven. Living with a preacher sure won't get you to heaven. My wife was lost. And then she made two statements and I've not preacherized this or embellished this at all. Two statements I wish she could testify to you. There at that altar that night, she said, Rick, I've prayed a thousand prayers, but I've never really let go. I've never really surrendered. And she said, Rick, the reason I've not done this before is your pastor in this big church and I'm worried what everybody's gonna think. And then she said, but I'm not gonna go to hell because of what everybody thinks. And the second thing my wife says, and I want to shout this one, she said, honey, every time this comes up, the devil reminds me how much I come to church, how much I work, how much I serve, how much I do. She said, but I know I don't go to heaven because of what I do, but because of what he's done on the cross. You know what my wife did? She prayed to receive Christ. I didn't lead her in some kind of prayer, preacher. She prayed it. You know what she did? She surrendered. She gave her to Jesus. Man, Miss Stacy, I thought she was a good Christian before that. You ought to see her after she got saved, man saved. So I'm going to ask you this. Are you saved? Doesn't matter if you go to the Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. Doesn't matter. Chad Campbell's a great preacher. It doesn't matter. You have the best music on the planet. Doesn't matter. And if I lived in this area, I'd go to this church, bless God. Be a tragedy to go from this great church straight to hell. Do you know that you're saved? Bow with me all over the building as you're standing to your feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All over the house. Boy, I preached a totally different sermon in the first service. I preached on encouraging folks who are going through storms. God laid on my heart yesterday to preach this message. And it'll be confirmed because your pastor is going to preach on the glorious second coming tonight. You'll not participate in the second coming unless you're raptured, unless you're saved. So I'm going to say two words, Brother Chad, before we pray. I'm going to say them out loud. And you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Because anything I can talk you into, the devil will talk you out of. You let the Spirit speak to you. When I say the word saved, what does the Holy Ghost say to you? How about when I say the word lost? Someone say them again. Saved, lost. Saved, lost. Are you saved or are you lost? In a moment, I'm gonna pray and our music will begin. And we'll sing later. Well, we got some pastors standing down here. If you're in the far reaches of the balcony, you're in the middle of a bunch of students, or you're in a crowded row, your soul is more important than what anybody thinks. I'm gonna invite you, if you're not saved, or if you're not sure you're saved, to leave your seat. Walk down one of these aisles. I love this church. All the aisles lead to the front and the altar. And walk down, take one of our men of God by the hand and say, I want to be saved. If Jesus comes right now, I won't be taken. I'll be took out. Don't leave here lost. And then finally, preacher, if everybody here is saved, God wanted me to preach this sermon for this. When you see what's going on in the world and realize we could be close to his coming, is there anybody here that wants to pray for a lost person today? When's the last time you came to an altar in a church service and wept for that lost friend or that lost family member? So I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I know you can pray at your seat. But I want us to close for the believers today at the front, those that'll just get on their knees again and wet an altar with tears for the lost. God, thank you for the privilege to open the book in this place where the book is opened every time somebody stands here. 
God, I thank you, Lord, for Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. Thank you for the pastor. And I have been so enriched just by seeing these dear saints this weekend. God, I pray in this wonderful church, if there's somebody not saved, God, you'd save them today. God, if they're not sure, they wouldn't leave this building until they know. God, I pray they wouldn't worry about what hundreds of people around them might think. I pray they'd know that it's never gonna be easier than right now. They're in a safe house. This is the place they can step out and come to Jesus. Then God, all across this building, if all of us are saved, God, I pray a holy burden again would fall on a church where they see people baptized all the time, like we've seen 10 this morning, I believe. But may we get a fresh burden, God, for those around us who are lost. God, would you move in this service right now? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.